0: Screen says another, which is okay. Uh, We've uh, already accomplished two introductions. If you may be joining us for the first time now in the Gospel of John, it's okay because we're starting right from the beginning and laying uh, a a foundation to the foundations, Uh, but also building upon those things that we've learned about the Word, the Logos, and and also the... uh, Um, The creative power of of the word of God in in general, what we've learned in John's opening statements. So we're going to fill in with the next three verses, verses three through actually four verses, verses two through five. And um, and we'll see that you haven't missed anything. If you just come in now, but at the same time, there's a lot that's already been established and a lot more that will be established today. So let's look at verse one once again in our study of the gospel of uh, John. Uh, could we please turn those lights off? Thank you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word being the Logos in Greek, Memra in the Aramaic, and Davar in Hebrew. Important to know the distinction of what the word is, and we're going to touch upon that in just a moment. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So, with these two introductions that we've done already to this gospel firmly tucked under our belts, I hope we uh, press forward now in our study of chapter 1. The first intro was general. It was general information about the gospel of John itself. The second intro, which we did last week, was more specific as it focused on the foundational word, Describing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the prime object of this gospel. And that is the word logos, as I said, the word of God. Now let's add to that thought what the word of God is. The word of God in action. That's something we learned about the logos. It is the word of God in action. In action where? In action in creation. In the beginning, Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So, it's the Word of God in action, in creation, in revelation. What is the revealing? It is the the revealing of who God is. The person of the Father. We realize now that Jesus is the express image of His person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We'll build upon that thought in a moment. One thing that we didn't t- touch upon was the Word of God in action in deliverance. How the Word of God actually helps us. And of course we'll see that throughout the Gospel of John. So when you look at this whole picture of the Word of God in action in creation, in revelation, and in deliverance... This, again, is not Greek philosophical understandings. This is is not dealing with the Word of God from a Greek philosophical position, but actually from a Hebraic or a Hebrew revelation. From the Old Testament, as it were. Take, for example, if we're going to deal with the issue of deliverance. Does the Word of God deliver us? Think about Psalm 107, verses 17-20, through as an example. Here it says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. And then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. How many of us have cried out to the Lord, and he saved us out of our distresses? All right, well, that's wonderful, isn't it? But notice the next verse. He sent his word. That is the Hebrew word, davar. He sent his word, the word Davar, as translated in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, is the word Logos. He sent his Logos and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So there we see again the word of God in action. The Logos in action on our behalf. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Now, as we look at verse 2 of our text in John, we might see a bit of a repetition of the second phrase. In verse 1, the second phrase is, the word was with God. But it is more than that. It is much more than that. If you look at verse 2, it says, the same was in the beginning with God. Now, you would say, well, that sounds a lot like the second phrase of verse 1. And in fact, Jesus is the word in action. But what else did we learn about the logos? We learned that he is also the word in wisdom. He is also the very thought process. Now that kind of leads toward the Greek, but, but still, there is the thought and there is the action. There is the ideal. There is the real thing that includes the thinking about what is to happen, what is to be done, and the doing of it. So if in fact Jesus is the word in action, he's also the word of wisdom, or word in wisdom. Not only, in, in other words, he is, is he coexistent face to face with the Father forever, but he was and is both the God, both with God, I should say. He is both with God and acting with God. That, and that is what we need to see here in this verse. He is with God and acting with God. He doesn't act separately from the Father. The word the logos acts with the father in other words their communion their fellowship their relationship their connection is a perfect eternal bond never is there a time when the father gets any argument from the son if you if you need to see it in that uh, in that light if you need to see it in that perspective because uh, listen parents I mean you you have children that never argue with you right You have children that never have another opinion other than yours. They are just so perfect in every way. They're saying, no way. (laughs) But the Father and the Son, it's perfect. It's perfect. Take, for example, what John writes in his first letter to the church, which is first John there toward the end of the of the New Testament. First John, chapter one, verses one and two, the very first two verses. Look at how similar they sound to verse one of chapter one of the gospel, that which was from the beginning Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands, have handled of the Logos, the word of life. He says, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father. Notice, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. It was with the Father, because He was with the Father. Jesus was with the Father. And John is bearing this out. We have seen him. We have seen the Logos. We have touched him. And we bear witness of that eternal life. They knew instantly. I'm talking about the disciples knew instantly. That Jesus was just not another person. He wasn't just another person coming along saying, You know what? I think I'm the Messiah. No, he was the Messiah. He came with power. He came with authority. There was never any question as to who he was. We'll see that as we study the Gospel of John. Now, one last thought on the issue of the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and also the Word was God, in reference to a triune God, as we talked about in our first uh, uh, study on 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 there being one God but in three uh, distinct persons, John, by the way, never writes, and you 'll never see this in any translation, and you shouldn 't because then if you do see it then it 's a perversion of the translation, but John never wrote the word was the god, the word was the god, in other words, he doesn 't add that little article the to the statement he says the word was God. And there's a reason for this omission. What he's saying in this omission of that word is that the word, the Logos, Jesus Christ, is of the very nature and character of God the Father, but he is not the identical person of God the Father. In other words, there is a distinct Father and there is a distinct Son. You see, in oneness theology, in the theology where There is no Trinity. There, you know, there's only one God, and and the Father is going to be Jesus, and Jesus is the Father, and the Spirit is the Father, and the Spirit is the is, is the Son, and the Son is the Spirit, and the Son is the Father, and all of that. That's a little confusing. That's really confusing, isn't it? It's easier to just take what the word of God tells us and realize if the scripture does say there's, a, there's one person in, and he's called the father and he is God and there's a person called the son and he's God uh, and he's called God and there's a person called the spirit and, and he's also called God. Yet there's one God. Then we have to understand that there is this uh, the, the, there is this unity of the Godhead. It's still one God. So with that in mind. Jesus is a distinct person from the Father, but he is the very being and the very essence and perfection of God the Father. He is the very substance and character of God in all of his perfect being. And you can say that as of the Spirit as well. But, but even more, Jesus, because he is the express image of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And so as we saw last time in Hebrews 1, verse 3. That express image of the uh, the express image of the person of God is the exact representation, the exact expression of God's nature, nature. But there is a distinct Father and a distinct Son. So consider then what it says in Colossians chapter one verse fifteen, where it says that Jesus is the image or the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. But that first I, I wanted to just focus on that. He is the image of the invisible God. You would jump down to Colossians 2 verse 9. It says, for in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus is not missing anything of the full nature and character and extent of who God is. And yet in, in a way that we cannot fully understand in our finite minds. There is a Father, there is a Son, there is a Spirit, and yet there is one God. All right. And we believe that certainly by faith. As we press on into verse 3 now, we discover an added understanding to the God of creation. We sang about the God of creation this morning. So here's an added understanding to the God of creation. Verse 3. All things. Were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now this is a a marvelous statement, not only in English, even more in the Greek. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I'm going to be speaking grammatically here. In other words, dealing with the grammar. In grammar, you can have positive statements and negative statements. I don't like to use those words too often, but I can in, in, in grammar a negative usually uses a no or a not or something that that has uh, that kind of connotation so in a positive statement you don't have that all things were made by him that's a positive statement grammatically all things were made by him you agree all things were made by him i mean you agree as well as uh, as with the with the uh, grammar right that's that's positive all things were made by him okay now look at the next phrase and without him no him this is kind of a negative see Without him, was not anything made that was made. So now you have a positive and a negative. Saying the same thing. I think John is really driving a point home. This is, this, this is a device in scripture that is used to drive a point home from all angles. All things were made by him, without him... There's nothing made that was made. So you got the picture? You can't deny that he's saying everything was made by him. So in a word, what John is writing is, God is the creator, the word, the logos, is the agent. God is the creator, and the word is the agent. We know from Psalm 33, verse 6, which we quoted last time, that by the word... By the word, by the davar, by the logos, by the memra, Jesus, the heavens, uh, by the word Jesus, who is the, the word, the heavens came into being. By Jesus. So similarly, all things exist by wisdom. Again, this is the full extent of understanding the logos. He's not only the word in action, he is the word in wisdom. Without the wisdom, there's no action. So understand then in Psalm, I'm sorry, in Proverbs 3 verse 19, it says, The Lord by wisdom. The Lord by wisdom has founded the earth. In other words, He has made and laid all the foundations of the earth. By understanding has He established the heavens. It is His understanding. It is His wisdom. Everything when it was created. Do you remember what Jesus, I, I, well, Jesus would have said it. Do you remember what God said at the beginning of creation when everything was made? He said, It is. Good. And in one point he says, it is very good. Because God founded it by wisdom and with understanding. In other words, what is the evolutionary thought today? Everything is just random. No thought, no expression, no personality. Somehow, I don't know how they get this unless you, have, unless you really have faith in the evolutionary religion. But how do they get to say that two little molecules are floating in space and they kind of collide and now we have everything that we have here after billions of years? You see, it takes more faith to believe that. God just says it. All things were created by wisdom and with understanding which says... That takes personality to create. Okay, so I've driven that point home, I think, over the last three weeks. Psalm 104, verse 24. Oh Lord, how manifold, how, how great a number are your works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. All things have been made by the wisdom of God. Not one thing not made that wasn't made by the wisdom of God. The earth is full of thy riches, So, go back to verse 3, because the phrase in our text begins with two words, all things. You all see that? All things. And it means every detail of creation. Every detail, from the largest detail to the smallest detail. All things. Every detail of creation. Not creation just as a whole, but every single detail as well. That's what all things means. He has narrowed it down to the smallest thing. Every molecule, every atom, everything that comprises atoms, neutrons and protons and everything else. Everything to the smallest detail God has created. And God knows in detail everything and every element, each person, each being, whether material or spiritual or angelic or human, has come into being by Jesus Christ, the Logos. The wisdom of God in action, the Word of God in action. Consider, if you will, one little statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, when he says, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, all things, and we in Him. In other words, we're in Him, we're, we're created too. But then he says, And we, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. Who's creator? You see the same thing. Very simple. One Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things. And we by him. Literally we by him were made. We by him were made. So not one single thing or even detail was made without him. Without the Logos, it wasn't everything was made by him. You see the importance now with the positive and negative here? All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. We've covered every base. And as we move now from verse 3 to verse 4, we also move from this brief focus of created things, like us, to a statement about the creative word. A statement about the creative word. Look at verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. I've entitled this. Study the Word, the Light, the Sun. When we get to the end, what we're going to come through is the Word, the Light, the Sun equals the Logos. I think we've already known that so far. But life, from the very beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God spoke Light be. Light was. What came first, the chicken or the egg? You see. God created light. And we've learned in science, and biology especially, that for life, biologically, in the sense of plants and, and things, they need light. In just a few days in between, God created the light, but then He created life. But for us, when we look at our own spiritual lives, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But now we've been made alive through Jesus Christ, who is our light and life. So what came first? In the old creation, of course, light was existing, but nothing else was growing was until there was life. So life came, then we can understand the importance of light to life. But the importance of light to life, in our case, in the new creation, is we had no life until the light came. The light revealed our sin, revealed our hearts, our need to cry out for mercy to God. And then He saved us and gave us life. So in Him was life and the life was the light of men. Without any question, John... Is making it clear that Jesus is not only life, but the source of life and the source of light. From the very beginning, man was to know that life. You see, from the very beginning, we were to know that life that comes from God. In fact, when he created man, what did he do? Yes, he molded him out of the dust of the ground. But then what did he do? He breathed into him life. In essence, the spirit of life. He, he became a person in, a, in, his, in his fullness. For God breathed life into him. For what reason? Well, we were to know God personally and intimately. And again, I want you to know how important it is to have a personal God and a personal Savior. Along with having a God who is over all the earth and over all those who believe as far as the church is concerned but here's the thing we are to know him personally aren't we we are to know him intimately the knowledge of the life of christ was to be the light of men jesus is the light that gives life real life to man both abundant and eternal we talked about this before and we'll do it again here in john ten verse ten the thief Cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, Jesus said, that they may have life. That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And we're talking about Zoe. We're not talking about bios or bios. We're talking about Zoe, spiritual life. An abundant spiritual life. A full and complete spiritual life. You know what that is, if you were to to translate that into Hebrew, it is the shalom life, the shalom life of wholeness and completeness and perfection, not in ourselves, but in the Christ who's given us life, in your life, it is Jesus as the light of life and the life and the light who infuses, he permeates, he instills life and strength and energy and motivation into men so that they would walk and live as they should. Is this not what Jesus has done for you? That when you came to the Lord, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he made you alive together in Christ. For by grace are you saved by faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And again, it is by the Father's good pleasure. That the Word shares that self-existent life that is distinct from the creature. And because the Son shares this self-existent life with the Father, He, the Word, the Son, the Word, is able to impart life to others. Consider, if you will, John 5, verses 24 through 26, where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my Word, notice, He that heareth my Word, and believeth on him that sent me. The Father. Has everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. But is passed from death. Into life. And then he says again. Verily, verily. I say unto you. Truly, truly I say unto you. The hour is coming. And now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so has He given to the Son to have life in Himself. And hence, to give life. And so from the very beginning, the life that Christ was and is, is to be the light of man's quality of being. It is to be the light of man's force of being. In other words, our strength of being comes from the light of the glory of Christ. Man's essence of being, the, the essence that we are to be, what are we to be? We are to be more and more like Jesus every day. That comes from the light of And the life that was given to us by Jesus Christ. In a word. The life that is Christ. Was to be the light of man's purpose. The light of man's meaning. And the light of man's significance upon the earth. We are his. We are in his hand. For him to do with us. What he wills. for the good of man and for the glory of God and so John in 11 verse 25 Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life I'm not only the power to raise you from the dead I am the one who gives you life That is everlasting. And he that believeth in me. Though he were dead. Yet shall he live. Can you believe that promise of Jesus? If you believe that he has risen from the dead. Then he has risen from the dead. To raise us up. To newness of life. In Christ Jesus. Are you new today in Jesus? Are you alive today in Christ? Are you alive today in his word? Are you alive today when when you read his word and you, you are moved greatly in the spirit to believe and to trust and to go forth in faith, walking no longer as after the world, but walking now after the things of God. Can you believe? You have that life today. Because of Jesus. And if you don't have it today, you need to have it today. And you can have it today. By turning your trust and your faith and your confidence in Jesus. And Now as we get to verse 5. There's another added dimension to the logos that we need to see. For it says in verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In other words, the light uh, uh, light shines in darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Now, if you remember in the the creation account, Genesis 1 verse 2, by the way, and I already referred to it, We were told that darkness was upon the face of the deep until God called the light into being. In verse 3, when he says, light be and light was. And so, the new creation, that that was the original creation, as as it were. But in the new creation, in which the logos is God's agent as effectively as in the original creation. In the new creation, the new creation involves the expelling... And the banishing of spiritual darkness by the light which shines in the word. I need to repeat that so you you don't miss this. In the new creation. Now remember you are, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You are a new creature in Christ, Paul says. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are the new creation in Christ. And so in the new creation, the new creation involves the expelling and the banishing of spiritual darkness by the light which shines in the Word. And apart from that, apart from that light, I should say, fallen man is just shrouded in darkness. Fallen man is shrouded in darkness. I don't care how many religions you follow. The more religions you follow, the darker you're going to get. It is not about religion. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ where we have true light. And the light of his word. Psalm 119 verse 105. Thank you, Joseph. You reminded me of the scripture reference last night. Psalm 119 verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me is not going to be in darkness. We'll talk about that one in just a moment. But the point is that darkness is to be expelled and banished when we come to the light of the glory of Jesus Christ in our life. Apart from that, everything still remains in darkness. Since man, through the temptation of the serpent, brought darkness into the world by sin, the life of Christ was and is the light of man. The divine beam, if if you want to call it anything, there's this beam that comes from God. And it shines right into our hearts. As I said, the light has to reveal in us the sin of our lives. It reveals to us how separate, how far away we are from God. Until we cry out in mercy to Him and say, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he shows us the cross. And he shows us the blood of Christ. And he shows us an empty tomb. And we realize that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe with our hearts that he's risen from the dead. We shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. You shall be saved. And in that salvation, you are then in the light of the glory of God and of Christ. No longer messing with darkness. Too often we say, Listen, if you just say this prayer, you're a believer. Really? I can't make that presumption on a person's life. God called us not to make converts, He called us to make disciples. We need to know what the cross of Jesus Christ is about. We need to know what the empty tomb is about. We need to know that He's alive, that He's walking, that well, He's, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of, of our Father today and ready to come again. I think we've done more disservice by telling a person, listen, just say pray this prayer and that's it. And then they go and they, they have a, an emotional experience. And then a few weeks later they're back in the world in the darkness. We have to encourage people to stay in the light of Christ. So what does the beam of light that comes from God show us? It shows us the way, the truth, and the life. And who is that? That's Jesus. John fourteen six. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And so Christ, Jesus, is the answer to darkness. There's no other answer to darkness. Christ alone. And this was prophesied, by the way, many years prior to Jesus' birth in human flesh. A verse of scripture that uh, just a few months ago, during the time of, of the uh, Christmas time when we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, this verse of scripture is oftentimes read, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. It's an interesting thing, though, that when Matthew quotes from this particular verse, he says in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 16, the people which sat in darkness. Now, in, Ma- in Isaiah, they were walking in darkness, and now they're sitting in darkness. There's a, a little bit of a progression that we need to understand. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Uh, certainly, we, we we can say that there was there were, uh, uh a certain way of translating this from the from the Hebrew to the Greek and all the Septuagint again. But the point is, in the time of Isaiah, they were walking in darkness. But in in the progression of time, by the time we get to the birth of Jesus on this earth, now the people were sitting in darkness. Reflecting, as it were, a greater ignorance to the Word of God. A greater ignorance in darkness. If there's a little bit of light, you try to make your way through it. If there's no light, you can't move. interesting. I just wanted to bring that up. But for this reason, we as believers in Jesus Christ are no longer part of the darkness in which we used to live. We're not supposed to be, by the way. We're not supposed to be. We as believers are to no longer have any part of darkness. Think about these these passages that I'm going to give to you this uh, very quickly here because we want to come to the table of communion. Ephesians 4 verses 17 to 20 says this I say therefore Paul says this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that he that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity or fruitlessness or uh, 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 of their mind. Having the understanding darkened notice being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves unto lasciviousness, great, uh, uh, immoral, uh, uh, sinful darkness, uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. This is not how you have learned Christ. In other words, we need to learn Christ so that we stay in light and not move to the darkness. Is it possible to happen? Yes, of course it's possible. How many of us have backslidden? Don't raise your hand. But how many of us have backslidden? We understand. When you backslide, you move away from the light. You find yourself in darkness. And I don't understand how people can think, you know, well, you know, I'll get in darkness, I can do whatever I want. No, God sees. He's, he's the light. He can see everything. I don't know why we think that we can fool Him. I, I really don't understand that. Think of what Jesus Himself said in John 3, verses 19 and, uh, through 21. And this is the condemnation Jesus said, that light has come into the world... <clears throat> and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. They just don't like the light. I think I mentioned the cucarachas last week. They don't like the light. You know, the cockroaches don't like light. You light. Know, in the middle of the night, you go into the kitchen to get a midnight snack, and then all of a sudden they're scampering when you turn the light on. They don't like it. I don't worry about cockroaches, because they're not going to be saved. Don't so I don't know. But then Jesus said, But he that doeth truth, he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought and worked forth in God. Paul in Romans thirteen verses eleven and twelve says, And that knowing that the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, yes, it's ten fifteen, folks. But we're talking about the times in which we live. To awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Are we doing these things? I mean, this is what the word of God is, is, is in effect commanding us to do every day. Put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Because you see, as we learned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 and 5, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. That the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Is light and darkness important to the believer? I'd say it is with all of these examples that we've we've read in the scriptures. So let's look at one last point now in verse 5 of our text. Go back to verse 5 and look at the second phrase in verse 5. It says, and the darkness comprehended it not. You'll see that in your Bibles. And the darkness comprehended it not. Second phrase of John 1 verse 5. The word comprehended there is a little bit misleading. Although it is true that the darkness cannot in any way understand the depth and the power of the light of Christ. But it is best to understand the word comprehended in the Greek, kata, It's called it, it, the word is katalambano in, in the Greek. We, it's better to understand that as, as meaning overcome or overcame or mastered. And hence the clearer translation, the darkness did not overtake the light. The darkness did not overtake the light of logos, the light of the word of God. The darkness did not overcome or overtake or master the light. Darkness can never master the light. We can say that this is true of ordinary light. A little candle can dispel a room full of darkness and not be dimmed by it. Here here is something to consider. Light and darkness are opposites. But they are certainly not opposites of equal power. Light is stronger than darkness. Darkness cannot prevail against light. What has happened since the word, the logos, has come into the world? What has happened? Yes, uh, uh, people are rebelling against the light, but the, the darkness cannot turn out the light. And John says in 1 John 2 verse 8, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. The darkness can never and will never put out the light. It doesn't matter how much the world is against Christians today. Or against Christianity or against the word of God. Against Israel. Against all the things that God is going to do something about in these last days. It doesn't matter. We are still people of the light. And no one's going to turn that light out. No darkness is stronger than the light of the glory of Christ. Darkness cannot overcome those who walk in the light. John 12, look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus said unto them, you, uh, I should say, yet a little while is the light with you. This is while he's there. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and so on and so forth, did hide himself from them. So he was still here when he's, when he said that. But now if you go to John 8 verse 12, notice what Jesus said. Go back a few pages. He says, then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me. And this is not just then. It is now. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You will have. And the fact of the matter is that is saying you will have it and you'll always have it. As long as you're walking in the love of Christ, in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom and power and action of the Logos, the Word of God and action and wisdom, or the Word of God and wisdom and action. Are you walking in the light? be encouraged to spend time with the Lord this week and meditate upon this this great distinction between light and darkness. Part of the problem that we see in the church today, where there has been so much compromise, where there has been such a moving away from the truth of the Word of God to accept all kinds of other beliefs and and and, and faith, that has weakened, I believe, the message of the gospel. And it comes all—it it comes back to this thing about. Does a person come to Jesus just because they'll have their sins forgiven and then that's it? Or, or or do we say, Lord, I've come to you now, and as a follower, I will follow you wherever you go, wherever you want me to go, and whatever you want me to do. Will we count the cost of our discipleship? Will we count the cost? You see, if it is only about our sin, then it's only about us. And granted, it is a beautiful thing to be set free from sin and death. Don't you agree? So now what what will we do with that? If it isn't to serve the true and the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to the point of death remember that Jesus will say in this gospel the servant is not greater than his master is he your master and is he your lord are you in his light or are you playing with darkness Let's not play. Let's take this bread and this cup today. And in the challenge given to us by the word of God, let us make a commitment to walk in the light as He is in the light. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank You and we bless You for the privilege and the opportunity of learning and knowing about this precious gift that you have given to us it's called eternal life life that lasts forever it's hard for us to get our our head around that sometimes Lord but I hope and pray that we'll get our heart around it I hope and pray that our hearts will understand fully what that means that we're not just here Lord for ourselves we're not just here to see what we can get out of life and what we can get out of you Lord That some people actually teach, we're now worthy of having. Lord, I don't want anything. I just want you. I I want us to know that in in you we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Yet we are so blessed, and I, I thank you for that. But Lord, may we also make the most of every opportunity that we have as believers to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the lost, to the hurting. To those dead in trespasses and sins, because that's where we were at one time. So, Father, set us free from those things that keep us from that, that keep us from serving you. And I, I know you're calling, you're, 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 I mean, you're poking us, Lord God. I I don't know. I, I I know they use that term in Facebook, but (laughs) you're poking our hearts, Lord. You're convicting us today. But you do so in such a wonderfully gentle and loving way. I hope and pray we respond to that today in Jesus' name. Amen.